we gather together today, uh, we hold in our thoughts and prayers Curtis and Christy Hay over the passing of their daughter Kate this last week. Uh, this is something that a great number of people here in the Kirk are feeling the pain of, um, and uh, this is our time to hold them in our thoughts and prayers as well as others for whom uh, this raises issues of, of deep pain. So I have uh, chosen the passage today from Romans chapter 8, uh, selected verses for us to consider. Uh, would you join me in prayer? <clears throat> Gracious God, we ask that your spirit move among us, that as we are open to your living spirit speaking your living word to us in the midst of these words of scripture that we might be alive and alert to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Begin with Romans chapter eight, verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In continuing in verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Continuing in verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have the cross at the center of our worship space. 
because we remember that God cares about people who are suffering. It is our call as faithful followers of Jesus Christ to ourselves, think about suffering, to open ourselves to what God may teach us about this in the scripture and in our experiences, our faithful lives with one another. We do have to be careful in what we say about suffering. Sometimes, sometimes silence is the only proper response. We struggle with the question of suffering because it is a human question that everyone must address. We have been given minds to question. The book of Job is uh, uh, an entire book in the Bible about suffering. There are so-called friends that Job has who when Job suffers, they seem to have all the answers. They give the traditional answers. They say, Job, maybe this is an opportunity to learn as if God had no other way to teach us. Another says, perhaps it's God reorienting our lives as if God wanted to wean us away from this world. Another one comes right out and says, maybe it's punishment, Job. All these traditional answers are less than helpful in any way. They just seem to add to the pain. And we know when someone suffers, sometimes people want to get control of the situation by giving some sort of easy answer. You have to be very careful, very careful, because in the face of suffering, people can say absolutely inane things that just add to the suffering. Theologian Paul Tillich knew about this. Tillich pointed to that sort of thinking and talked about how our doctrine of providence needs to be rethought because in its, in its traditional form, it's flawed and all-powerful God, as if God has a plan behind all suffering. Barth called for a radical rethinking of the whole matter, for us to take suffering seriously and struggle with it because we need to find the words to talk about it, otherwise we cannot battle it. The suffering of Jesus in the crucifixion is where we begin. It is God showing how central God's concern about suffering is. Theologian Edward Farley was very helpful in this regard. He talks in his book, Good and Evil, about number one, life is hopeful. There are great and beautiful things. There are so many ways that we have been blessed by God, and we need to lift those up and celebrate those and, and embrace those and be grateful for them. Life is hopeful, and there is so much that is good. But he says, life is also fragile. We human beings are vulnerable. Biologically, we're vulnerable. Our skin is so thin and so easy to break. Alexander the Great, the greatest general in the ancient world, himself was probably conquered by some microorganism. We human beings are vulnerable. Physical pain can limit us. Our bodies age and decline. Accidents happen. And even our words, poorly chosen or harshly spoken, can leave a wound on vulnerable minds that last for decades or a lifetime. Sometimes I think 
we human beings are a lot like an incandescent light bulb. That filament that gives so much light, but one wrong bump and something inside breaks and it may be beyond repair. Life is fragile in so many different forms. If we're going to face life head on, we have to admit that fragility and that life therefore has an element of the tragic to it. Not just for a few of us, but for all of us, every human being is vulnerable. That's the situation we're in. It can tempt us. This fragility can tempt us to inhuman answers and responses to life, to, to wall ourselves off from every possibility of pain, to protect ourselves at all costs. But in so doing, we risk losing the ability to care for others, to care for their suffering. This sort of walling ourselves off can infect us and distort us and, and shape society. We can try to become invulnerable, but only at the price of losing our humanity. It's crucial that we recognize and accept the fragility of our lives and the tragedy of existence. And that's where our faith in Christ comes in. Jesus who came fully as a human being, as vulnerable as you and I, but he never chooses a life of self-protection, but rather of life, a life of self-giving, a life of love, a vulnerable love in the face of all the fragility. He puts himself at risk to show how life can spread, how existence can be faced with a sense of hope and that God's love in that life gives us a sense of courage to face the fragility of life with a sense of profound hope, a sense of courage that does not make us wall ourselves off from others or turn against others, but to be for others as Christ was God for us. The cross of Christ is a symbol of reality, and it's a symbol of God's relation to a suffering world, that God is with us even in the midst of the suffering. Jesus, as God's representative, does not stand above it all, but in the midst of the suffering. It's not that Jesus suffered more than anyone else, but he never turned away from those in need. He suffered with those who were in need throughout history. He's the witness of how God relates to us, standing with us in the midst of our fragility, in the midst of our suffering. Christ, vulnerable to the suffering of the world because that's the way God is in God's love for the world. First and foremost, this is a message to those who are suffering that you are not alone. God is with you. Your suffering is not meaningless, but rather your suffering is part of life and that God seeks to end that suffering, to redeem that suffering, to heal that suffering. Your suffering in the love of God matters and it matters ultimately. God embraces the suffering ones through the suffering of Jesus to show the light of God's love in the darkness. 
The way of true life is not to endlessly cut ourselves off from the pain of the world, but to make ourselves vulnerable to the suffering ones. Witness to the never-ending love of God means that we are open to finding ways to reach out in love even at a cost to ourselves. Those who have lived life in faith and faced great suffering give messages to us and help us to see how we might live and what this might mean for us. Great social prophet of the 1960s, William Sloan Coffin, was a wonderful man. I just had an opportunity to meet him a couple times. He was big and bombastic and an iconoclast and such a leader in the church. And, and he seemed to be so, so powerful and, and vulnerable, and, and, and yet his son Alex was driving in a terrible storm. A son who, as Bill said, had enjoyed beating his old man at every game and every race. But then the day came when he beat his father to the grave. At one of the receptions at their home, a nice-looking middle-aged woman was one of the many who brought food. And as she went past, she muttered something along the line of, I just don't understand the will of God. Bill Coffin, Reverend Coffin, stood up in hot pursuit and gave her a piece of his mind and a piece of theological instruction that was long overdue. It ended with saying, never do we know enough to say that something is the will of God. He went on to say, my own consolation lies in knowing that it was not the will of God that Alex die, but that when the waves closed over the sinking car, God's heart was the first of all our hearts to break. God with us, God with us in the midst of our pain, suffering, and fragility. The God who does not cause suffering or will suffering, but the one whose love never ceases from seeking to find ways to redeem us, to redeem our pain, and in faith to show us that what had been the end in the grace of God will be a new beginning. My colleague and friend, Dr. Don McCall, uh, had been uh, appointed in his retirement the head of the parole board in Nebraska by the governor. Um, He was a a marvelous theological mind and and church leader. He grew up in Beirut, Lebanon. Uh, His father was a professor. He grew up as a child there, speaking the king's proper English. Then as a teenager, uh, he moved to the United States. He and his brother, he didn't know the culture here at all. Some other kids asked him, do you wanna go get a Coke? And he said, I did not know what the words wanna go get a or Coke meant. McCall had a brother though. His brother had grown up with him in Lebanon, and now his brother was here with him. They were lifelong best friends. When McCall was in his 60s, his brother died, and McCall was devastated. 
He flew across the ocean for his brother's funeral, and when he got back, he was expecting people to to reach out to him and care for him. He was in so much pain. He was in so much pain. This was such a loss to him. He expected uh, other clergy people to console him, but all they seemed to say was banal things like, well, how was the flight? Are you jet-lagged? How was the food? Paul just took it in the midst of this terrible grief. He, he just soldiered on and steeled himself against the pain. He thought that's just how it was. And then in his duties as a per, the head of the parole board, he was in the state pen. He spent a lot of time, especially around death row. One of the big inmates, one of the big death row inmates, even taller than McCall, Big Willie Ote, said, Hey, Doc, you got a minute? I said, sure, Willie. What do you need? I said, I heard your brother died. Paul said, how did you know? Willie said, even on death row, word gets around. Willie reached out and put his hand on McCall's shoulder. He said, thinking about you. How are you doing? And at that point, McCall, this giant of a man, collapsed in sadness. His body racked with sobs about the loss and the pain. And Big Willie, this death row inmate, wrapped his arms around Dr. McCall, held him, held him until the sobs subsided. Finally, McCall got up. They wiped away his tears and they looked each other in the eye. And McCall said, You know, after that, my grief was gone. Big Willie had absorbed my pain. Big Willie, the death row inmate. A deeply flawed man who had become, for that moment, a vessel of God's grace. Life is fragile. Life is fragile, but God's love will find a way. God's love is relentless. And when it does not find a way through the usual channels that we would expect, that does not stop God. God will find another way. We have to be careful, not glib, not offhand. It doesn't take away the fragility or the tragedy of life, but rather it redeems us with the hope that only God can give. Life is fragile and suffering is real, And the resurrection itself was not simple or easy or quick or obvious, and yet over time it began to become evident to people. Theologian Paul Tillich put our Christian message of hope well when he wrote, we only want to show you something that we have seen and to tell you something that we have heard that here and there in the world, now and then, 
in ourselves is a new creation. Here and there, now and then, we have seen it, have heard it, we have felt it and experienced it. That God's love is for us and that nothing, nothing, not even death itself, nothing can separate us from the love of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.